The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by the 2019 World Changing Women's Summit. Join us January 28th through 30th in Santa Cruz, California to nourish yourself, connect with other women in leadership, and elevate business. For more information and to claim your tickets, visit worldchangingwomensummit.com. That's worldchangingwomensummit.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWpod. If you haven't yet, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. You're listening to the World Changing Women's Podcast, where each week we talk to badass female founders who've built game-changing brands that are making the world a better place. You have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur who keeps going under certain circumstances where death is literally knocking on your door and you're like, no, I can do this. <laughs> I can keep going. you do if you had a dream to start a company and you told one of your parents and they actually kicked you out of the house? That was the decision facing Vava Angwenyi when she told her mother that her dream in life was to start a social enterprise in Kenya that would help Kenyan coffee farmers. You see, traditional coffee farmers in Kenya earn less than one dollar per day. Yet Vava knew that she could start a new coffee company that could change that and directly support those farmers. Yet when she decided to pursue her passion, not only did she face resistance from her family, but she also found resistance in Kenyan culture at large, which really didn't support the idea of a female social entrepreneur. With all of this, though, Vava still found a way to launch her company, Vava Coffee, which she has now been at the helm of for 10 years. In this episode of World Changing Women, we'll hear how Vava surmounted those initial obstacles how she's found the courage to keep going despite struggling to find funding, and how she's transforming an industry from the inside out. Her story landed her on the 2018 Rising Social Entrepreneurs list of Conscious Company magazine and caught our editor's attention enough to place her on the cover of the Q4 issue of the publication, which is hitting stands this week nationwide at Whole Foods Market, Sprouts, Barnes & Noble, and more. I'm your host, Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Welcome to World Changing Women. So let's just start at the very beginning with the origin story. How did the idea for Vava Coffee even come about? Hey, Megan, thanks for having me today. And I'm super stoked to be on the cover. Like, it's you know, one of those dreams. <laughs> Finally. <it's laughs> yeah, so thanks a lot for, for having me today. To your question, well, this, I would say, started out of pure curiosity. And I went to school in Canada. And at the time that my parents were sending me to Canada at 16, I didn't quite understand why I had to leave. But their push was, we uh, we want a really good education for you and we want you to have exposure. But initially, I just thought they were getting rid of me and <laughs> it didn't quite seem like it was the greatest opportunity. But during my time there, I discovered coffee 
those moments as a student when you're studying late, I would spend time in the library and I spent time in various coffee shops in Canada and I started asking questions that related to the socioeconomic aspects that relate to coffee, like are the farmers happy? Are they getting paid? As far as I was concerned, every coffee farmer I had met in Kenya used to complain about the markets being really good at some point and nowadays they don't get paid enough. When I came home, it was always the, the story of struggle and the story of, of just toiling and never seeing benefits. And then here I was in North America and literally seeing how much money was being spent on a cup of coffee and looking at Kenyan coffee packages, such beautiful packs with an elephant, telling the story of the coffee farmers from other parts of the world. So this triggered my interest and I said, okay, you know, kind of funny that there are no brands from Kenya per se that speak to this and I haven't seen anyone sort of put out something that really tells the story of producers and the Kenyans who are in the coffee industry saying anything about this. So essentially that's how this story started. But I knew that there was no way I was going to venture and start a business without finishing my first degree and second degree, because that was what was expected coming from a family like the one that I came from. So I sort of hid this secret aspirations for a while. And then eventually when I finished my master's, I was brave enough to sort of come out to, to my mom and tell her that I wanted to, to be an entrepreneur. So that's a snippet of how it all started. Mm, and, and what did your mom say when you told her you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Well, she flipped. Um, <laughs> she totally flipped. She was like, uh, she called an intervention with the rest of the family. She was like, uh, my daughter has lost it. She's become so white. I remember that. So she's like, oh, you've become so European and American. What is this about coffee? We don't even drink coffee here. <laughs> and what is this obsession? She actually called it an obsession and she thought that I was going to get over it. And because I was living under her roof, the most that I did with that, I started, um, I got a part-time position as a lecturer at a local university to use my degree because I studied actuarial science and statistics and then did a master's in finance. So I used to lecture fourth year students in risk analysis and I, I lectured first years in economics. So at least that sort of bought me some time as I kept pursuing this entrepreneurial dream. Finally, I was just like, you know what, I just need to focus on the coffee thing. And she didn't take it kindly. And in fact, that was one of the toughest things I went through because my mom eventually kicked me out of the house for, <laughs> for pursuing this. She's like, okay, since I educated you to the best of my abilities, she pulled out files and she's like, listen, you owe me this much in your university education. And I hope one day with this business, you can pay me back. And she sort of gave me her blessing, which was a blessing. And all of this, like, I can tell you now it was a blessing in disguise because I don't think I would have pushed myself as hard as I did uh, when she sort of cut the, what do you call it? The matano. I don't know what it's called, but she, she just sort of said, you know what, go, go do your thing. Uh, let's see how you survive, but you're not going to do it under my roof. So I moved out and it was a tough thing for me because I, I was literally starting from scratch, but it pushed me to do things that I don't think I would have done had I lived under her roof. And right now I look back and I thank her for, you know, the tough love that she showed me. So I'm so curious. It sounds like you're kind of doing this against the odds with your with your mom not supporting you and actually kicking you out of the house as a result of this dream that you had. 
Why did you keep going? What was it that like really drove the passion to continue to want to start a business? For me, it was, I believed in myself and I was like, everything told me that I was doing the right thing. Like I was pursuing what my heart really wanted and I was on the right path because I was slowly seeing some positive results. And when farmers actually started approaching me, when um, this was like in the early, early years, I would tell you like in the second year, farmers started reaching out. And then that reassured me that indeed they're looking for solutions and the industry needs a company like mine to speak up for producers and to get them better access to markets and to provide the capacity building. I would say the small successes along the way reassured me and I never took those in a, you know, I never brushed them off. I was like, one farmer, two farmers could lead to something, a little media presence here and there, raising some capital from, you know, the the three Fs, friends, family, that kind of thing would keep me going. And you know how you sort of, as an entrepreneur at times, you can ask yourself, am I crazy? Like, am I like, have I lost my mind? You know, I, I, I used to ask myself all of these questions, but then when you sort of look at the pros and the cons and look at how much traction you're having in certain circles, you're like, okay, I just need to like tighten the buckles and, you know, be like a, a horse in a race and ignore the noise because everyone, I can tell you from a family standpoint, everyone was like, she's lost it. Uh, she's just, we don't understand why she went to school because now she's like put her entire life in danger. She's, you know, thrown all caution to the wind. But I kept going simply because there were those small, small things that used to happen to me on a daily basis that, that used to reassure me. And here we are today. My goodness, on the cover of a magazine, no less. <laughs> Show that to your mom. <laughs> yeah, I'll send her a copy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious about, so just dating this, what year was this when you had this idea and really got started? This was in 2009, but I can say the idea is really, I've, I've had this idea since I was a student in Canada. And that was like more than 10 years back because I've been around, this is my, it's going to be my 10th year in business. So got home, got back home from the Netherlands after Canada and around 207, I'd started like seriously trying to pursue this. So around 206, 2007 um, was when I was like, you know how you do those pitches to like you're at a family gathering and people are like so what are your plans <laughs> and then the you're dreaded like, question yes <laughs> and then you're like I, I just want to work with farmers <laughs> and everybody's like okay uh why why coffee and so this started around then and then formally registering the company in 2009 so I'm curious, in 2009, when you formally registered, and, and even the years before that, what were some of the very first steps that you took to get the company off the ground? One was uh, basically fact-finding, like doing my own on-the-ground research. If I can backtrack a little, when I was doing my master's in international finance uh, in the Netherlands, I did try to sort of submit a thesis along the lines of risk management as regards coffee producers. And I was trying to create a, a risk model for producers to trade with in at the Kenyan auction. But when I reached out for data, folks in the Kenyan industry, I couldn't get enough data. So let's just say I, I'd been trying to do the groundwork right from when I was in the Netherlands before coming back home. And that is what sort of gave me the basis of set up the business as a social enterprise and 
you know, what kind of business model would you like and what is my approach? So I started, when I got back home, tried to speak to the relevant organizations that where you would ordinarily go for information. But then I realized, oh my God, the information is hard to come by and people in the coffee industry in Kenya are really not that friendly or very open with information. And the data was so outdated. So I said, okay, the other way of doing this is to go on the ground and collect data myself. So I did, um, some of the groundwork was basically hiring a few students, like just having students work with me for the experience and using my statistics background. We started collecting data on coffee producers in Kenya and what their needs were and why perhaps they were approaching coffee. So I did enough legwork. Before I registered the company, I had data to back it up. When I was approaching investors, I would back it up with actual stats. So that was the beginning of justifying why I was even registering a company. Because, you know, at the end of the day, even if my mom was kicking me out, I I did go back to her for support and I was like, I'm your child. (laughs) So (laughs) let's let's, uh, come with an agreement here. So from those early days, I mean, you're, you're about to be in your 10th year in business. What has the journey with Bava been like? What have you guys accomplished? I would say we've, I, I suffer from, I think, founder syndrome and entrepreneurial like dilemmas on a day-to-day where we overlook some of the achievements we have on a day-to-day basis. So I know that people do compliment us for the things that we've done and the things that we do. But I think also when you're someone who believes you can change or rectify some of the world's problems, you you hardly see some of your achievements as successes. But I've learned to sort of give us a pat on the back when we make sudden strides in the work that we do. So some of the things that we've been very successful with is we've been one of those companies that have paid producers some of the highest prices they've seen in the last five years. So we've had successes increasing producer income. One of the other greatest achievements is highlighting the fact that youth do have an interest in this sector, just that they need proper guidance and education. So we have a very successful coffee education program under Henta del Futuro as well, which stemmed out of a need that we saw as Vava Coffee and the other partner organizations we work with. So I'm proud of that outfit simply because also education has been one of the things I've been preaching since I started in that One, we need to educate Kenyans and Africans in general in consumption of coffee and how to consume it. Because until we learn how to consume some of the things we produce at origin, we are not really transforming our economies. We need to both consume them and also find an alternative market to what we have as as extra produce. And that way, our negotiation power becomes much stronger in the international markets. So highlighting the need for consumption at origin, as well as having successfully launched one of the first fair trade certified coffees for women in Africa. That was one great achievement as well that we made last year. The other achievements along the way have been all the lives that we've impacted positively, be it not just by purchasing coffee, but by educating consumers. I know that a lot of producers have been the reason I never gave up. Because when a producer calls you and encourages you, it means a lot. Like it, it's it's a difference between you don't not showing up at work the following day because you, you fear bankruptcy or like you're at the brink of bankruptcy as a company. 
and you actually showing up because you know that there's people who rely on your ability to get up every day and fight. So I know that there's a lot of producers that look up to us. So I would say I'm one of those very, I'm a very emotional person. So of course, even a thank you note from someone who's never tasted our coffee for the work that we do. I look at those emails and those types of comments also like a little push for us to keep going. And the other achievement has been the young people that have gone through our internship program at Vava Coffee. I know that we've impacted several young people's lives, not just in Kenya, but outside of Kenya. All those young people that have come from Canada, Australia, that some of them eventually got to work in the coffee industry because of us. And I've mentored quite a few young people along the way in daring to, I would say, take a risk in life. Because in African culture, risk is like a bad word. And we're supposed to play safe every day, like do the regular stuff, go get a job, get married, have kids, and live that safe life. We're not encouraged in our societies to take risks and to dream big. So there's not enough young people that get told this message. So when they have met, say, someone like myself that is like, guys, you can do anything you put your mind to, just do it, you know, just get up, uh, dream, get whatever support you can and do it. And obviously, when I share this story of it was never easy for me. And I'm like, it's taken a lot of years to repair the relationship as well with my family and my mother, who now totally believes in me. And I don't blame her for it because culturally, I've done things that are not culturally, you know, allowable, like for a woman. So over time, it's, it's taken a lot of people to accept both myself and what we do. And one other achievement as well is all the certifications that we've been a part of the process in getting. And one one really good one that I'm proud of this year is the B Corp certification. And I'm excited. It was a rigorous process. It's been one of the toughest audits. Other than, of course, the audits we go through with, with investors, this was also like another tough audit. I liked it for the fact that it made me reflect on some of the company's practices. And I'm really proud of it. The other achievement, if I could plug this in, is, is of course, juggling being a mother and running a, a business. So it's, it's not an easy task. And the fact that I have a young daughter who understands that mommy, she's just not like all over the place and around the world, like just, you know, she's doing meaningful work. And having, to, having that opportunity to share this with my daughter has also been a, a really good journey for me. Hmm. Huge congratulations just on everything. And I know that getting B Corp certification is just a massive undertaking. So I'm very happy for you. So one thing that you just mentioned was investment. And I was just curious, kind of even from the beginning days, how did you fund this venture from the beginning? And then also what type of funding have you done throughout the life of the company itself? Well, Megan, this one requires a book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this has been one of the most frustrating experiences. And I say that the the day that I'm solid as, as, as an individual and I can invest in other young people, especially women, I will do it in a heartbeat because... The industry is just not set up to support certain types of businesses or certain types of uh, businesses that operate in certain environments. And this is when also education, when it comes to impact investing or investing in social enterprises is necessary both for 
the investors and for the entrepreneur. And for me, this has been a crazy learning curve. And as an entrepreneur, of course, you ask yourself, who do you engage? Who do you sort of spend more time on? And who's just there for the purpose of just digging up information from you and never giving you a response? And these are some of the struggles I know a lot of entrepreneurs go through. And in those early days when you're looking for money from just about anyone, I can tell you the environment in which I set up my business was not conducive for a startup because in Kenya, you cannot, startup capital is like uh, non-existent. So this is when I decided to use the whole, um, what is it called? I decided to sort of guilt trip my mother (laughs) 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 and go back on my knees and say, mom, I am your daughter and you need to support me one way or the other. And I literally had to present a business argument for my mother to support my initial uh, sort of capital raise. Reason being, I needed collateral and she had collateral and I could not get money from a bank without collateral. And raising money from friends and family was like, people in Kenya don't have an investment culture or they don't invest in businesses per se, unless it's their own businesses. The typical things to invest in in Kenya are real estate and the stock market and land. So when you're doing a pitch to even your friends who may have a business club, they're just sort of looking at you like, okay, we're going to listen, but maybe we're going to steal the business idea from you because we've got more money or whatever, but we're really not serious. So when I started this, I had to literally go back to my mother and be like, okay, I need you to give me collateral. I need your support. Even if you're not going to sign any documents with me, I need you to be my co-director for a while. I'll pay you back. And after a lot of convincing, she did help me borrow money from a bank. And this took a lot of convincing. And I had to share my numbers with her, like um, have her okay a couple of things. And I appreciated that support because there's no way I was going to raise my first uh, like $30,000 without her help because I had no land, no house. I was starting out. So she she helped with the initial capital raise. And then after that, I started approaching uh, some of my male friends who had strong business clubs and I would sort of do a pitch and they would support things like buying stock, money for packaging. So I started literally like looking at different types of investment investor clusters to see, okay, who can I go to for packaging support? Who can I go to to support my stock? That kind of thing. Then later on, as I started gaining traction, once we had a product in stores and all of that, I started looking for like uh, more institutional type investors outside of banks because bank loans in Kenya are crazy expensive. Like I used to pay 26% interest on loans. Now it's slightly lower, but not that much lower. We're at like 23, 20%. I've literally survived off of miracles. Uh, I keep saying this because I'm like, I don't understand how we pulled it off. We still have debt with banks. I've had goodwill from a couple of friends who lent the company money along the way. So it it was a mix of financing really, but mostly debt. I would say if we can get like a good investor who can just put in the money, especially to support our export lines, that would be great. And sort of just free us from bank debt. That's, That's a goal. But I can tell you that the African environment is really not set up for startups or entrepreneurs per se. 
you need to be a, a company that's been operating that has a lot of assets to borrow money. Banks, in fact, with the new regulations, with the interest cap and everything, there's just no money that's free-flowing for entrepreneurs. So you have to be smart, which is why I've been involved in like pitch sessions in Silicon Valley and other places to try and raise money outside of Kenya. It's just incredible. I, I mean, so as a, as a female entrepreneur, I know the headwinds that I've faced in terms of getting a company off the ground and raising money. It sounds as though the headwinds that you've faced have been fivefold, tenfold what I've even had to experience. And I know that personally, there have been just more than one time along my journey that I've just considered giving up. And I'm curious for you, just how have you kept going for almost a decade, literally kind of scratching and clawing your way through this to keep this afloat? What has kept you going? Uh, a couple of things, but I'd say you got to be really crazy to keep going under some circumstances because <laughs> I've been asked several times, why not just go do something else? Why not? Because I'm like, uh, first of all, nobody would ever hire me now because they know me all as a coffee person. And when you've created your brand, even your personal brand, people see you and they see coffee and they see Vava and they see Vava coffee. So one, what has kept me going is the fact that you have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur who keeps going under certain circumstances where death is literally knocking on your door and you're like, no, I can do this. <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> so one, just that unfaltering belief in yourself that you're, don't give up even if things look really terrible. You're like, you've literally gone through a fight, you're bleeding and you're still waking up saying we can do this. You have to be like an innately, like, I don't know. I don't even know what to say, Megan, but it's one, it's, it's definitely craziness for one. The other thing is that I strongly believe in what the company is about and what we do. Yes, we're not a huge multinational in the coffee space, but people have started taking notice on about how we do what we do, the business model and the traction we've had. The relationships we've created over the last 10 years with producers mean the world to me. Like if it's anything that I would take out of all of this, if my company fell apart today, I value most all the relationships I've had in the last 10 years. And I would never give up because of all the people that I've looked up and supported the business over the last 10 years from especially the producers, because that is our greatest asset. Without them, we have no coffee, we've got no story, we've got nothing. And the fact that as well, that in insurmountable circumstances where I felt, okay, you got to throw in the towel today, something has happened at the very last minute that has reinforced the work that we do. You know, like at that last moment when you're like, okay, screw this, I'm done. Then the following morning you get a call or an email and someone is like, hey, we want to order like uh, we want to order a container. We really love what you do, like the small things, the small gestures, and the fact that I think as a founder I've had like an unwavering vision of the future that has kept me on track. And of course, the support of a few good people along the way that believe in the work that I do has kept me going through the the, the tough times. So those small things, and of course, a lot of boxing and workouts <laughs> where, where you go punch a bag and you're like, oh, we can do this again tomorrow. 
finding outlets for those frustrations is is a is is necessary i think for any entrepreneur to like make sure you have a level head when you're making decisions because now today i'm more disciplined in not making decisions when i'm uh, frustrated or when i'm angry with things and the world so i kind of go do a crazy workout kickboxing whatever and then then i'm like okay now now we can think so those are some of the things that have helped me you know keep it together hmm. And you might have already spoken to this. It might have kind of been in the conversation around funding, but I'm mm-hmm. curious right now where you are, what are you kind of struggling most with as a business leader? Uh, well, the, the, the biggest struggle now is how do we leverage all the opportunities? We've been thrust into what I would say aggressive growth phase. Like we have no choice but to grow aggressively now, what I'm struggling with is matching this growth with the capital that we have, lack of capital, or if you understand what I'm saying, it's like, okay, we don't have the capacity to grow at this pace, so I'm trying to aggressively fundraise to match to our needs, and the market isn't responding appropriately. So there's like, there's a gap whereby, yes, we've got a lot of people that want to buy coffee from us for export. There's all of these opportunities that are coming up. However, the funding is not coming in at the same rate to support this growth. So I'm just praying for a miracle, if this makes sense. (laughs) It'll happen. There's a mismatch in, okay, we've got all of this stuff happening, not enough support in terms of cash flow. We need a miracle to match, you know, these gaps. And, And also, I'm also struggling with the delegation thing now. Without a, you know, a doubt, I'm being forced to aggressively delegate some responsibilities that I, I am accustomed to doing. So I'm struggling with that, but I know I have to do it and let people make mistakes. But I'm also at the point whereby I'm like, I need, it's, it's also part of my growth as, as a founder. It's time to like hand over some things and see the team grow as well. Absolutely. I am uh, I'm praying for that miracle for you as well. And mm-hmm. I've often had the experience myself of having things just fall into place right at the very last second. So I, I feel like that's going to happen. I'm curious for you, as you've reflected back on these last 10 years of being such an exceptional business leader, if you were able to distill down your top two to three pieces of advice that you would give to other business leaders, what would they be? I would say uh, one piece of business advice, especially for young people that are sort of starting out, is trust your instincts. Don't don't listen to all the noise. Like if you are a founder and you're you have envisioned something, don't always listen to the person that has the money. Uh, stick to your gut in certain situations. Of course, advice is great, but too many opinions can sidetrack you a lot. So that's definitely one piece of advice. The other one is um, health is a crucial part of any founder, of any entrepreneur. Uh, Don't neglect your health. Find a balance in managing the stress in founding a business and just maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't have outlets to express some of the things they go through, which is why... I've been a big advocate for 
entrepreneurs having an outlet to talk about their difficulties and to avoid what I call a lot of depression. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are depressed. They never get an appropriate outlet to vent. And I would say more so, especially I would say in a situation like an environment like Kenya, where you don't even accept that people can be depressed or, you know, that mental health is, is really an issue. And when you don't have a good support system, I've seen a lot of people that start businesses and are not strong enough to handle the stress that comes with it, like really give up and almost lose it. So safe places for entrepreneurs to express themselves and to talk about some of the hardships they go through are a key. So when you're starting out or as an entrepreneur, it's essential to find, I would say, your tribe, folks who you, str- you trust, who you can uh, share these things with. And it doesn't necessarily have to be people on your board. It can just be... I don't know, fellow entrepreneurs who sort of understand the struggle. The other piece of advice is just um, be authentic. Um, don't ever lose your authenticity, no matter what, and don't sell out. It's tough, given the world we live in, where we all feel like we need to please people, or we all need to look a certain way, especially with social media and all of that. But I'm like, uh, be yourself, don't ever lose who you are, because at the end of the day, we're all unique in just because of, you know, your personality and who you are. And off the top of my head, those are the three, I would say, pieces of advice. Mm, I love it. I want to build off of one of those, actually, um, this kind of taking care of yourself and focusing on your own health and wellness component. What does your daily routine look like? And also, do you have any practices besides it sounds like boxing um, that help you deal with the pressure of being a business leader? What actually keeps you grounded? Well, my days vary quite a bit because one, I travel a lot. So I have to find ways of adjusting very quickly to like new environments and my, my travel schedule. And I'm in the field a lot. So, and in most circumstances, I don't have the luxury of sometimes having a gym or having my instructor with me. So exercise has been a big part of my life ever since I was a student. And I am a black belt Taekwondo. That taught me a lot of discipline in my early days. So I've tried to stay true to that discipline of one meditation. And I like high impact sports. But when I don't have the luxury of having it, I always ensure that I'm active one way or the other, whether I'm in a coffee farm or I'm traveling. The travel can take a toll on your lifestyle, but I always try to incorporate it either early mornings or if I don't get an opportunity early in the morning, it has to be what I sort of end my day with. And also being aware of my surroundings and uh, being in touch with people when, when I'm on the road. The other thing that's kept me grounded, of course, is my daughter. She's very real. <laughs> <laughs> Children are very, um, they, they provide certain insights that we as adults sort of ignore as we grow up. One thing I've learned from children is curiosity is important also in keeping you consistently, I would say, in touch with what's happening. So I've, I've always reminded myself to constantly be curious about everything. The other thing is that I like to read a lot outside of the work. I, love, I like to keep in touch also with the things that I love as, as a person. Photography is one. And just enjoying nature and things around me and being grateful for 
the world that we live in. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of ugly things that happen in the world day to day, but I take time to keep out of you know that noise and focus on the beauty that, that there is around me at that particular moment. So being present, I, it takes a lot of discipline. I'm not saying I'm fully disciplined in being present, but I would say I'm trying to always be present in whatever circumstance that I'm in, rather than worrying about what's happening in the office, are things falling apart, what's happening at home, you know, that kind of thing. So trying to focus on being present and and then, of course, all those other things that help decompress. But I would say the biggest thing for me has been exercise, learning how to breathe, all of that good stuff, and, and yoga when I can do yoga. And photography is also a good know, stress reliever. Dance as well. <laughs> Get the chance to dance, you dance. <laughs> and laughing. Like, laughing is a great thing. So I'm like, any opportunity I can get to throw in a joke and laugh, I'm like, life is never that serious, you know? You could be getting bankrupt tomorrow, but, you know, you can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> there's always some, there's always something to be, to be grateful for and to be happy about. So that reminder is also important. Hmm. Oh, I love those. I'm curious for you if, you've, if you're able to just tell me about a life-changing moment that you've had on your journey. I'll say there's been quite a few, but one, one particular, I'll say one most recent one is um, when we were recently filming in Tanzania as part of this, uh, the training program we're doing as Gente del Futuro. And for me, given the focus for this program was to empower the young women in some of the coffee growing communities and educating them. What I observed as the transformation of when you educate or give people an opportunity they've never had before and the gratitude with which it's received from a place of innocence. This was like a group of young girls, some of whom also work um, on some of the farms we've leased in, in Tanzania. And you know how we sort of do things and we think, okay, we're just training young people, whatever, no big deal. But the, the way that they received this with such gratitude and then over time observing that transformation because we spent a total of 12 days split into two months. So we trained for the first six days. A lot of them came in very timid, very scared, not knowing what was happening. And then slowly introducing them to the motions of coffee from agronomy right to part two was uh, brewing techniques, roasting coffee and all of that. And right before, you know, the graduation, it's just observing how, and I, I used these words, was how people that were very timid, like sort of in a cocoon, blossomed and became beautiful butterflies at the end of it. And speaking with confidence, aggressively asking us for opportunities in how we can support their careers in coffee and what next for them. So for me, as someone who does this trainings and is in the field and is out there just like, you know how you never give a second thought to um, some things you do because they are part of your system. You're like, okay, we're doing this training. It's for 12 ladies, da-da-da-da. So I, I experienced some really 
would say, intimate moments during those 12 days of just watching how some of these women were transforming and the confidence with which they left the program and the confidence with which they were aggressively now asking, how can we support them? And then meeting their families as well was also like a life-changing moment and just relating their living circumstances and how we saw them in the classroom, like relating those two things of their lifestyle at home where a lot of them still live in, in, in poverty and then watching them in the classroom and listening to their hopes and aspirations. I don't know how to quite put this into like words, like simplified words rather than just share like that whole 12 days was actually life-changing for me because I said, you know what, you just never know the impact you're having in someone's life. You may take it as some simple thing that you're doing when you're out there, like training them and giving a speech, but they're actually absorbing this and taking it very, very seriously. Because obviously this doesn't happen with all the groups we train, but the particular transformation of these women because of also the society they live in, which is very patriarchal, where they've never been given a chance to like think that they could be really anything and getting this you know, chance of a lifetime, watching all of that was, I would say, transformative. That's beautiful. Oh, well, our final question here. Uh, <laughs> I am curious, what is giving you hope for the future? I would say right now, it's the young generation. Like, um, I don't want to call them millennials. I would say what's giving me hope is that there's hungry young people out there who are hoping for a better world and the hopes that things can be done differently, I would say especially, particularly for my industry. Coffee is in a very dangerous, very fragile state as we speak. There's all kinds of discussion with the commodities market. The sea market is is at an all-time low. Producers are frustrated. But what's giving me hope is that it can still be better because there's a hopeful young generation and there's people within the industry, even the older generation that are willing to make transformative change in the way they trade, in the way they do things. That's giving me hope that with the work that we're doing, even as Vava Coffee and Gente del Futuro, once some of these stories are highlighted, it can change the perception of industry players to do things differently for a more sustainable industry. That's what's currently giving me hope. Wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, for your work, for everything you do in the world, for the impact that you're making. It's just incredible. And we're so excited to have you in our community. Thanks a lot, Megan. And thanks for doing this podcast as well. The World Changing Women's Podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WCWPod. Thank you so much to Vava and Wenyi, as well as everyone who nominated entrepreneurs for the 2018 Rising Social Entrepreneurs list. Also to Nina Bernardin, our incredible podcast manager, and our podcast partners on this, StoryPop. Join us next week for an interview with another world-changing woman. And thank you, as always, for listening.